He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And before we get started, fellas, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for the great engagement we had on our Taylor Gucci interview. We made some headlines. TG really made the headlines. We just gave him the platform to talk about that stuff. And if you guys have not heard that interview yet, definitely go listen to that and then come back and listen to this Big 12 championship recap that we're going to do today, Live Golf Singapore preview, and then the Mexico Open preview, as well as some other things, guys. Um, But yes, thank you for that, and definitely go subscribe if you haven't already to the 73rd Hole Podcast. Hit the follow button on Apple, the green subscribe button on Spotify, and you can find it on golfoklahoma.org, as well as thesportsanimal.com. Fellas! I thought we were going to have a lot to talk about with this Big 12 championship, but fortunately and unfortunately, it was kind of a snooze fest today. Not only was the golf boring, I felt like the commentary was pretty so-so on ESPN+, Plus, but that's neither here nor there. This is the top story. The Oklahoma Sooners go out there and win back-to-back Big 12 championships only team under par shot one under for the tournament at prairie dunes end up winning the golf tournament by 18 shots over tcu taylor and by the way ludwig aberg breaks the big 12 record for scoring he he broke morgan hoffman's record t-dub by 11 shots on a windy blustery cold rainy day out at Prairie Dunes, which was really, really impressive. Love the Gayberg on the week, T-Dub. Goes out there and shoots 67, 66, 63, and then a 69 that might have been the most impressive round out of the four to end up shooting 265, 15 under for the golf tournament. But unfortunately for him, the other guys for Texas Tech did not play well at all. Like I said, OU won by 18 shots over TCU at 17 over. Texas Tech was in third at 21 over. Texas was in fourth at 23 over. And Oklahoma State was in fifth at 24 over. Taylor, what were your thoughts? I know I just covered a lot right there. Just start where you want. I would just start with essentially what was a very pretty much lackadaisical day of golf in all honesty. If not for the great golf course they were playing in Prairie Dunes, I probably would have stopped watching a long time ago. I mean, OU essentially from they had the first tee time on the in the first round and just went out and led by what I believe thirteen shots after one round. Then all of a sudden they they end up winning by eighteen. So I mean they were in control of this tournament the whole way. And the same with, with Love Gabe, he goes out and shoots six seven sixty six. He didn't have the lead after those first two rounds. Jonas Baumgartner from Oklahoma State did. But then goes out and shoots 63 in the second round when Baumgartner shoots a 72. So that was really able to gain nine shots in that aspect. So he gains a lot of ground there. And so you just want to look at this tournament going going forward into regionals. And 
OU goes out and plays some very excellent golf in some tough conditions, Woody, and knowing that they're going to host a regional coming up in just a couple weeks, I mean, there's basically zero chance that they're not going to be able to make it to nationals, and they keep this form up, they're going to have a great chance to make it uh, into the match play and maybe they'll make a run at the title. We talked about this early in the year. You guys remember it well when we had our interview with Hibble. I'd like that team, even though he said he's not sure what he's got, I think he does know what he's got. And and back-to-back Big 12 championships, whether we like it or not, gentlemen, we, we have to start thinking when we talk about the Big 12, OU is getting to be a pretty dominant force in golf. Now, that's hard for this to come out of this cowboy's mouth, but they're really showing me some real moxie year after year. So I think you're spot on, T-Dub. I, I look for them to dominate at Jimmy Austin. I really do. And I would not be a bit surprised, guys, if they're hosting the national championship and the year's over. Guys, let's talk about the Sooners because, number one, Patrick Welch, the Vinny, the cross-handed bandit, goes out there, has the experience. When we talked about how the young guys, Jay Summy and Ben Lorenz, have won OU's past two tournaments in, in the last two weeks, uh, obviously Lorenz winning in San Francisco and then Jay Summy winning uh, last week. And so we haven't really talked about the experience that these OU this OU lineup has. Patrick Welch, the fifth-year senior, goes out and finishes solo fourth for the tournament. 70-68-70-70 for his four rounds. Talk about consistency when you need it on a tough golf course with tough conditions. Drew Goodman, another guy that we saw in the lineup last year. He's not the young guy anymore, and he played as the four-man, but he finished the second on the team and fifth for the tournament solo, and he shot 67 70, 72, 71. Let's keep going with the consistency here, guys. Ben Lorenz, one of the young guys, like I just mentioned, consistent, tied for sixth. He shot 68, 70, 75, 69. Now, here's what I want to get into, and here's why OU really won this golf tournament by so many shots, and it's because... Stephen Campbell Jr. was in the lineup for the first two rounds for the Sooners. Now, he didn't play very well at all. And so what did Coach Hibble do? He put a sub in. And we talked about Coach Hibble trying to get the lineup right all year. Well, in the postseason, he's able to use a sub. And Jake Hallbrook comes in, uh, shoots 72-71 in the last two rounds and really needed it today because Jay Summy shot at 81 today. Uh, and so for Hallbrook's score to count on the third and fourth round, guys, I felt like for a sub to come in and do that, that was big time. Just the consistency was there for OU, whereas for Texas Tech, you had one guy shoot 15 under, um, and then, I mean, guys, look at this. I mean, Calum Scott for Texas Tech, their two-man that has won multiple times this year, shot 288 for the tournament. Tyron Snyders, who was playing as their one bag this week. Now, Ludwig Aberg's obviously their best player, but they played him fifth, obviously, because of, uh, you know, sometimes guys like coaches to follow them and sometimes it's easier to put them, uh, you know, in the last spot instead of the first. But guys, so Tyron Snyders, who is one of Texas Tech's best players, shoots 290 for the tournament. Like I said, Scott finished T12, Snyders finished T19. Not terrible, right? But not what OU was doing. And then the last two guys in the Texas Tech lineup finished 42nd and 49th. One of them shot 305, and the other one was a sub who shot 78 in the final round, guys. 
I picked Texas Tech before this tournament because of Ludwig Aberg and Scott. Um, and guys, they really just didn't get anything else. We talked about it before NTW. We said this tournament is Ludwig Aberg's and Texas Tech's to lose. Ironically, Aberg broke the Big 12 record, but his teammates didn't live up to the hype. No, you're 100% right about that. I think that even Aberg being the best player in the country, him and Gordon Sargent could have an argument about that. But I, with the way I saw Aberg play this week, I wouldn't take any amateur playing better than him at this point. But I don't think he's enough to, to carry this team. Maybe they just had an off week. I mean, those conditions out there, it can get out of hand. You mentioned uh, Jay Stummy earlier shooting the 81. He was only three over on the front nine, was able to, to rebound a little bit after a rough start. But then he ends up making a nine on hole 13, and it just really got away from him. So I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into that. But with this new postseason rule, being able to, to use a sub, I, I believe going through here, counting, I think half of the teams, five out of the ten, use a sub in this tournament. So, you know, with the, with for OU looking at Steve Campbell or Holbrook, I think that you could just kind of run what you did this week, take both of them and see what happens, Woody, because uh, while the, the rule was created for it to be if a guy gets injured, you should put him in at the old Bo Hosper rule. But it, it's, if, if the rule's going to be there, you might as well take advantage of it, even if we agree with it or not. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's still crazy that we see subs in golf because I'm old school. When you tee it up, you got to finish. But I think that that, again, screams kudos for Coach Hibble because he, he knows his players, and I think he knows them better maybe than some of the other coaches do. So um, I think it is a little bit of Prairie Dunes with those scores at Texas Tech shot. Um I don't expect them to play that bad the rest of the year. However, it, golf, we've talked about it even in our interview with Taylor, you know, last night he, he says, point blank, guys, golf's going to get you, okay? It leaves a lot of scar tissues. And what will that do with Texas Tech going into the regionals and then into the nationals? We don't know. But if you think OU doesn't come out of there budding with confidence because all those guys kept it under control during really difficult conditions on a very difficult golf course, and their consistency was unbelievable. So, boy, I, I just can't I can't say enough of how good they played. Congratulations to Coach Hibble and that team. No doubt about it. And it was a cool moment after the round when Hibble was accepting the trophy. He said, we've never won at Prairie Dunes, and I've tried six times to win at Prairie Dunes. And this was the first time they actually got the job done. It seemed like a weight was off his shoulders considering they go back there, what, T-Dub, every three years? So it was kind of their nemesis, and the curse is broken at Prairie Dunes. A whole lot different feeling for the Sooners than when we went there two years ago and Oklahoma State was hoisting the trophy. Um, before we get to Oklahoma State, T-Dub, let's talk about Texas. Now, they finished fourth in the tournament as a team, but they did have – some silver linings as we move into the postseason. We talked a lot about how Brian Stark hasn't played great this spring. Well, he played great today. He shot bogey-free four under in the windy, blustery, rainy conditions. And guys, I mean, he ends up finishing solo third for the tournament at six under par. I mean, only four guys shot under par for the tournament, and he was one of them. T-Dub, if you're Oklahoma State, it's probably pretty hard to look at the leaderboard this week and realize you lost to Texas by one shot, mainly because of the play from Brian Stark. 
Yeah, we mentioned that the rule changes with the using a sub just a second ago. But yeah, the transfer portal definitely changed that. And yeah, I thought it was funny today. Uh, Stark and Baumgartner were playing together in a in a twosome, and they were shooting it out essentially for second place. Baumgartner ended up beating him by one shot, but Stark goes down and shoots a sixty six today to be to be able to move uh, very well up the leaderboard. And yeah, it definitely does have to sting a, a decent amount, especially since OSU at least going into this tournament looked like they had been gaining. A little bit of form. They shot a two seventy eight in the second round, but then all their other rounds they shot yeah two eighty eight or higher. So definitely did not have the most ideal stuff for OSU this week. But uh, according to golf stuff, they're ranked twenty first currently going into international so or in the regionals, I guess. So they're kind of on that fine line of they they should get into nationals, but they're going to have to play pretty good. So they're they're right in between the verge of either being out of it or being a, a, a team that can go to uh, to the match play. So uh, for the fine line, but yeah, Woody, it definitely has to sting whenever. Uh, a team who's not necessarily your arch rival because OU and Texas are like that, but uh, a team that you desperately do not want to lose to, lose by one shot to a player who was just on your team uh, a handful of months ago. Yeah, that definitely has to sting. Yeah, that's where that portal has got to – it's got to really drive those coaches crazy because, you know, when you have to – when they can transfer to another team in your league, so to speak, and then you got to watch him go out there and play a really good round um, – you know, Alan Bratton's got to—he's got to think about recruiting. He's got to do something different because, you know, OSU's just not as good as they once were. I don't care how you code it, but it's just not. And so, whether he needs to go and steal something out of the portal or do some better recruiting, I don't know. But they just don't seem to have the players that they have in the past, and. Whether these guys are good and they're not performing, or they're just not up to speed, I don't know, guys. But uh, Woody, let me ask I, I you this: I'm, Let me ask you this because I know you have a big interest. Played at Oklahoma State University. Um, when you look at the recruiting that Hibble does, most of it he's recruiting Americans, and now it seems like most of OSU's good recruits are, you know, from around the world. Do you think that any of that has to do with? the team chemistry I know that it's not as big of a factor in golf but it seems you know maybe like the uh, success that OU has had and the brotherhood that OU has had is a little bit stronger than what Oklahoma State has had since they went to the kind of around the world recruiting they've always kind of had the one-off guys even you know a, a few years ago when they won the national championship they have Victor Hovland but most of the guys were American on that team now uh, it's the opposite of that you know I, I would say the majority of the guys are not American on that team do you think that has anything to do with it and do you think that I'm reading into that a little bit too much Oh, I don't know. I, I I do think that has something to do with it, Sam. When I, I I date myself when we when I played, we did have a little bit of foreign player. We had Jamie Gonzalez from Brazil. We had uh, Rafael Alacom from Guadalajara, or Mexico. Uh, but we were uh, we were like what OU seems to me. We were a brotherhood. We uh, we we tried to beat each other's brains out to get on the team, but once. Once, if you weren't on it, you you back those guys 100%. Um, I think recruiting's just changed so much. Um, the competition now to recruit kids is so much greater. I know when I was back playing, you didn't think you were going to OU. Uh, if you were a good golfer, you went to OSU. Uh, just like a football player would go to OU over OSU. But I think the competition is so great, and maybe Allen is just not finding that he can grab these kids that are 
either in our state or around our area. Or keep them, really. I mean, with Chikara going to live, that's obviously a tough one. But then Stark leaving to go to Texas, it's not only is he not grabbing the kids from our state, but he's not really keeping the good talent that he's already got. Yeah, it's um, we've talked about it, guys. We're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids that with the portal – it changed a lot of things where these these young men, if they don't feel like they're getting an opportunity, you remember when we talked to Mike McGraw at Baylor, he said, man, it's tough because you want to give these kids a chance, but there's only five guys that get to play. And if you're the sixth, seventh, or eighth guy and you think you're better than one of those five, you know, it's easy now just to say, well, yeah, I don't want to play here anymore, and off they go. So I don't know, Sam. I'm not a coach, and that's Thank goodness, because I don't think I could do it. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure what has to change at OSU, but I know. I know they're they're not going to be happy either not winning Big Twelve championships or maybe not even getting to the NCAA tournament. So there's going to have to be a reevaluation of what they're recruiting, what they're doing to get us back to the level of golf that we once thought was never going to change at OSU. And uh, it doesn't help that your arch rival down the road, you know, an hour away is doing it year after year. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Okay. Because I know coach Holder is not a athletic director holder and he's not involved in it anymore, but you know, he is. You know he's got his his eyes on it. And you know he's got his uh, voice being spoken up there. So Alan's smart. Alan Brand's not a dumb golf coach. So I think he's just got to sit back, reevaluate where he's going, what's going on, and see if they can't do something a little different. But they need to do it pretty quick because – you guys know as each year goes by and you're not performing at the level you want, recruiting gets just that much tougher, doesn't it? Well, Woody, I got some good news for you. Uh, OSU currently has three commits who are in the top 26 on junior golf scoreboard. Preston South, a kid from Richardson, Texas. Gavin Lane's a kid from Argyle, Texas. And Johnny Clark's a kid from Mesa, Arizona. So three of the top 26, all from the United States. That's interesting. And uh, all American Oklahoma. And Oklahoma has our man, uh, Ryder Cowan, who's number 27 coming in. And also P.J. Maybank, who is from Michigan, who is number 11. So three of the – or I'm sorry, five of the top 27 juniors uh, currently are coming to the state of Oklahoma next year. So, T-Dub, do you think that that's – T.W., do you think that that's because those guys are just, you know, the guys that he wanted, you know, golf technically wise, that he thought they had the best swings and had the best, you know, mentality on the golf course? Or do you think that he is kind of seeing the blueprint that OU's doing with the American guys? Do you think that has anything to do with it? I think that what happened was when you had the departure of Stark and Chikara, two things you don't expect, it opens up some room to play. And I think a lot of these great juniors from around the state look at a great program like OSU historically and say, Hey, we can go up there, go up there, and we could probably play pretty immediately, just because uh, they, they haven't been as top shelf as they are, and they could be the start of what could be a new generation in a sense for OSU golf. Because they, while they've been good, just not to a couple of years ago with with this down year, have a rebound year, and maybe start something else going up there. So yeah, I think there's a little bit to that as far as you know, is it, does you recruit locally or do you recruit uh, internationally? I think that just comes down to uh, who you think is the, who you think is going to be the best player for your team. At least that's what I, I would agree. do as a coach. I don't uh, I don't think there's really any need to uh 
I mean, you look at someone like Mike McGraw, right, who said that when he went to Baylor, he kind of shut down the uh, the state of Texas and only wanted to recruit uh, players from that state. And I, I don't see nothing wrong with that because you do want to create some sort of camaraderie. But uh, I don't know. I'm just hard-pressed to say that we live in such a, a global society now, and uh, it's so easy to get information and to really get interact with these players that uh, if you have a top-shelf player like a Victor Hovland in Norway, that uh, e- even if you're like, like Mike McGraw's philosophy and shut down the state of Baylor, it would be pretty hard to turn that kid yeah. down. No doubt. And I'm not saying that they've done anything wrong by recruiting around the world. I've just, you know, was asking the question, Woody, you know what I mean? Oh, I, I get it. And, and I, I'll tell you what, it, that's how much it's changed, guys. Just what T-Dub just said. It's a global game now. And and we we look at it. I know it, it's funny, guys, that uh, Coach Lynn, not David, his dad, Greg Lynn, who coaches the girls at Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma Christian College, he he gets he shows me videos of girls from all over the world, and he said, "What do you look at this girl swing? What do you think?" And I'm thinking, "How do they find you? What is where do you get this?" Because I get them all the time. So he might look at a girl's golf swing, and he he likes it, and he says, "Well, I can offer a scholarship." Okay, so you can't turn it, uh, you know, your back to the world and say. I'm going to go in Texas or I'm going to go in Oklahoma or I'm going to go in the United States because you might miss a gym. But I would tell you this, guys. I would think it's still very much more difficult for a kid to come from overseas, a different country, to America, go through college, go through all the changes they got to do. It would seem a lot easier to me to have a kid from America that was probably more used to what we see in this country. But again, that's why I told you, I'm not a coach. Don't want to be. And then there's always the, there's always the other guys like Ludwig Aberg or Victor Hovland. You know, I, I I think that you don't know. Yeah. You just, you don't know. And so it's just one of those conversations that, I think OU does it one way, OSU does it another way, um, and it seems like over the past decade or so, OU's way has been working a little bit, but like T-Dub just said, you know, OSU's still getting great recruits, and they're still probably the, oh, yeah. the number one team of all time historically, T-Dub, and so uh, I don't know, what do you kind of prognosticate OSU's future being like, considering... I don't know how they're going to do in regionals. I would assume that they probably make the national championship. They're definitely going to have to get better play out of Bo Jin, um, you know, and Leo Oyo and Dylan Stewart. Obviously, Jonas Baumgartner's playing great, and Rasmus Niergaard-Peterson, while he's inconsistent, he still shows flashes of brilliance. Um, but T-Dub, I mean, where do you kind of prognosticate Oklahoma State finishing this year? I think they probably lose in stroke play of the national championship, and that, that means that... You know, Oklahoma State fans are not going to be very happy, um, and we know how short of a leash Mike McGraw had uh, up at Oklahoma State. What do you kind of prognosticate the next couple of years looking like for Oklahoma State? Well, to, to the earlier point about uh, you know international or, or domestic, when I played at Oklahoma Christian, we had we as uh, Woody was just saying earlier, they recruit so international that it, it's kind of a joke. I mean, we had guys from Australia, England, Sweden, Argentina, Norway. Same I mean, thing. literally, it, same I, thing I mean, with any, France at, at UMKC T Dub. Same thing. I mean, just all over Canada, and, and a lot of these uh, guys are still my best friends to this day. So I mean, I, I didn't never thought that that would be a problem as long as you have good guys on your team that uh, the team Karamari team camaraderie thing will work itself out anyway but as far as osu i mean they're gonna be just fine i mean i would be absolutely astonished if within the next decade they don't 
I guess the match play in, in the national championship could be a little fluky, but if they don't win the stroke play portion or the match play portion, bring on the crowd, I'd be absolutely shocked. I mean, Woody, they're just you, – you can attest this to anyone because you played for them. I mean, they're just such a, a world-class program. And, yes, they had one down year because they had two very unexpected absences on their team. But uh, as we just laid out with the recruiting, they're going to be uh, just fine next year going forward. And uh, I said a decade, maybe within the next five years, they I, can win a title. OSU is going to be just fine. I completely agree I think, with you, T-Dub. But here's the deal, and I want to ask Woody this. OSU golf fans are kind of like OU football fans. They're kind of irrational. And last year was a disappointing finish, losing in the first round of, of match play. And then, Woody, I mean, this year the team is down again, obviously, because you lost Chikara and Stark. Um, so, I mean, do you think that the fans are going to give them as long of a leash as T-Dub and I are? Oh, I think so. Golfers, golf fans aren't quite as radical as football fans. But always remember what Holder told me. And I told Mike McGraw this. He recruited three guys. He knew one would fall in love, one would flunk out, one would be a player. And he didn't really care which one of us was with it. Okay? <laughs> and that's cold-blooded. I mean, that sounded – but that was Holder. I mean, he was cut and dried. Mike didn't – he didn't want to hear your excuses. He said, this is what it's going to be. So, I know that with that tradition, that facility – and they're getting ready to spend – $40 million or more up there, Carson Creek redoing it. Okay, guys? So there is no way possible that OSU golf will ever go for very many years without something being positive. So, yeah, I think this year is a rare year because we lost those two really good players. Nobody saw that coming. He's got some talent up there. He's recruited, it sounds like, awesomely is what T-Dub tells us. So, Am I worried about OSU golf? No. Uh, is it good to have competition not only around but in our own state? I think that's great because it makes you say, hey, you know what? I got to step to the plate and do it better. So we'll see. But I'm not I'm not worried about them. I hope they can get to the NCAAs. I hope they don't have a bad regional. That would really be ugly. But uh, I don't look for this, this year for this team to uh, – scare anybody by any stretch of the imagination well guys to wrap up uh the team portion of the big 12 championships like i mentioned ou obviously wins by 18 shots tcu guys had three guys in the top 10 individually as the 38th ranked team in the country kind of uh you know played out of their shoes a little bit this week guys really impressive stuff from the horn frogs texas tech obviously we mentioned uh and then texas and oklahoma state round out your top five now let's get to ludwig aberg guys because this was the first round of golf i've watched really from start to finish of ludwig aberg and this kid has just as much talent as Gordon Sargent, who Brandel was saying could possibly win the Masters before the tournament this year. Sam Bennett that we saw make the cut at Augusta National and, and contend a little bit at the Masters. Ludwig Aberg, guys, looks like kind of like a young Henrik Stenson, tall and lanky, just an, a phenomenal iron player and a phenomenal, really, driver of the golf ball. However, he didn't hit very many drivers today. Uh, he was just hitting the driving irons and three woods out in the middle of the fairway. I'm not even sure that he missed a fairway today t-dub but his distance control is elite compared to really anyone i've ever seen on the college level uh, and that's why he shoots as low a scores as he does week in and week out if he gets hot with the putter i mean you can see him shoot 
you know, nothing for, for four rounds, guys. I mean, he shot 15 under, broke the Big 12 tournament record by 11 shots at Prairie Dunes when it was terrible weather, T-Dub. This kid is going to be a star on the PGA Tour or live or wherever he wants to go. Oh, he's going to have an exceptional PGA Tour He's already had a pretty good start. I mean, he made the cut at the, what, the, the Bay Hill Championship, uh, Arnold Palmer. I know he did that. So, uh, I mean, yeah, and it's just what I saw today. I mean, he's just absolutely just solid almost all the way around. I mean, it's hard to find an extremely flaw in his game. He had a couple of, of maybe loose wet shots that I saw, but uh, I think that had more to do with the conditions than necessarily the game. But no, no, Woody, this kid's going to be out there for a long time. I mean, I, I think you look at a pretty good track record of guys who have dominated conference championship tournaments in the past or just college tournaments in general, going out winning by eight shots. Usually the track record's pretty good on that, and I don't expect it to change anyway uh, with this kid, Woody. His game is just too solid. Oh, I I, I couldn't agree more. What, what impressed me the most about what he did this week it, to play in those kind of conditions, you you guys know this. You have to have control of your golf ball. You have to know how to flight your golf ball. You have to know where your golf ball is going, especially at Prairie Dunes, because it can get ugly, as you well saw with some of those scores that were shot there. So for him to dominate on a golf course like that, it just screams to me that he's, he's way beyond his years as far as his age of what he can and can't do with the golf ball and if you could shoot 15 under in those conditions at prairie dunes yeah i don't i don't think there's much chance you can't make a living at playing golf there's no doubt about that guys to wrap up the individual portion the top five were all household names here in the big 12 area i mean you had ludwig aberg jonas Baumgartner, brian stark patrick welch and drew goodman were your top five if you follow college golf at all in the big 12 those are five huge names in college golf in the big 12 guys that is that is big time stuff from all five of those guys uh like i mentioned max sense uh Gibido from TCU finishes tied for sixth along with Drew Wrightson and Ben Lorenz. Ben Lorenz obviously continuing his solid play. Uh, Gustav Vermont and Jacob Scove Olison from TCU uh, round out your top 10 tying for ninth. Guys, any other thoughts on the individual portion of the Big 12 championship? Jonas Baumgartner, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on uh, when we were talking about Oklahoma State being down. He has been up. I mean, he won last week, finishes second at Big 12s this week, seven under for the tournament, 67, 64, 72, 70 to finish 273 for the golf tournament at Prairie Dunes. That's big time stuff. Most of the time that gets you uh, around the lead. Unfortunately, he was playing against Ludwig Aberg this week. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, it was uh, just absolutely stellar. On that end, I mean, you look at the rest of the individuals, as you mentioned, they're all household names, all guys who are either number one in the uh, world amateur golf rankings or all guys who used to either currently or used to play college golf in this state. So that really helps in that matter. Then you had uh, Lorenz, also another E player down there for six. TCU, as you mentioned, they had uh, five or four guys in the top 15, three in the top nine. So they were currently 38th ranked going into this tournament. So right on the edge of being a top 30 teams or who make it to nationals. So maybe they could be kind of one of those teams you see in other sports, right? who maybe didn't have the best season going on, but maybe can get fine form at the right time of year and then maybe get there, maybe be able to work their way into Greyhawks. So there's a chance of that. Um, but no, it was pretty much like you expected. The, uh, you do have Love Gayberg, one of the best amateurs that I've seen in a very long time. But really, other than that, you look on the past years, even the year that we were up there, Sam, just the exceptional talent. I mean, you had so many guys ranked in the top 10 
of uh, the official world golf or official amateur world golf rankings at that point. And now you have guys who are still really good players, but still down the, in the 30 to 50 range. So, uh, you know, not, not necessarily the top elite talent, but you know, Woody, the cream did rise to the crop at the end of this tournament. Oh, I think so. And I, I I'm excited. I love the conference championships that are going to be going on the next few weeks, but the regionals is going to tell us a lot about how we're going to try to figure out who's going to win the NCAA. So, uh, you know, we got the North Carolinas. We've, we've got we've got a lot of really good golf teams around the country. Let's watch the regionals unfold, and I think it'll be really fun to go down to Norman and see how our Sooners and Cowboys do. I don't know. Are the Cowboys going to be playing down By the way, region? guys, I, I mean, let's Probably talk about not. that for a second. I mean, is yeah. OU going to be ranked ahead of – Texas Tech after this? I mean, probably not, considering they were, you know, between golf week and golf stat, they were 11th and 10th, um, respectively, and then and then uh, Texas Tech was ranked 5th and 4th in golf stat and golf week. I mean, is there any chance that Tech goes to uh, Jimmy Austin? I'm not exactly sure how all that works, T-Dub. I'm not either, in all honesty. I just, I know that the teams don't really have a say in where they go, which we've talked about with coaches like Ryan Hill, we've talked numerous times. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be able to pick it if you're one of those top six teams. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, I don't know who's who's going to get to go to Jimmy Austin. I'm sure we'll find out in the next uh, week or so. I'm not exactly sure when the, the regional even is. I know it's in, in early May at some point. So, uh, but no, we'll, we'll, we'll know that soon enough. And uh, you're just going to go out there and play. Uh, a lot of things can happen with the weather, obviously, that time of year. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see also how Jimmy Austin plays as well. Um, they can set that course up in numerous different ways, and hopefully it gets uh, up into tip-top shape for that term. I know they're trying to get it prepared for the Corn Ferry event, so maybe they can you know speed up the process and get it looking pretty good before then. So it'll be pretty interesting to see, and uh, hopefully we know those teams soon enough. No doubt about it, guys. Stay with us here. We need to hit a break, but after the break, we're going to get into our Live Golf Singapore preview, our Mexico Open preview, and talk about some other things in the world of golf here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. Definitely make sure to go follow us on all of our social medias at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Humphreys. 34. Everybody stay with us here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. Join the hype. Live Golf is coming to Tulsa at Cedar Ridge Country Club, May 12th through the 14th. See the top players who include DJ, Taylor Gooch, Bill Mickelson, Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau. Battling it out. This is high stakes golf with a whole new vibe and a whole new energy. Rally your squad now and see the big names with big swings compete in this new global league. Tickets are selling fast. Get yours now at livegolf.com. That's L. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000.
And we are back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. This is the perfect day to go to golfoklahoma.org. Kim McLeod doing story after story after story on the Big 12 Championship and Taylor Gooch winning last week and all sorts of things that Kim McLeod is writing about, about local golf in the state of Oklahoma. Guys, speaking of local golf, we're going to be playing in the first tee scramble next week together um, with the Hump Man. It's the Hump Man He's the team captain. What what should our team name be? We're like the uh, Range Goats 2.0 or something like that. Uh, but it's going to be Captain Humpman and then myself and then T-Dub and Woody uh, going to go try to win a scramble next uh, next Monday, guys. Uh, what, are, what are our thoughts on this? Well, but yeah, if we can get a team logo and team colors that, as cool as the Range Goats, we'd be in, <laughs> in pretty dang good shape. But but I do assure you all one thing. I'm not going to show up and have us four in matching outfits be a combined team like that. I promise you that. So, uh, But, no, I, I cannot wait. <laughs> To, to play. I mean, last time that uh, we played with my man Woody, I mean, he had to, well end up being the uh, the holy for best yeah, shot of the out. year on number nine. At, <laughs> I mean, from from what ninety seven yards or something like that. So Woody, I mean, just based on what I saw last time, your standards and my expectations for you are extremely high. Yeah, that's see, that's a mistake. Once again, uh, you, you realize I was in Costa Rica <laughs> for a week and I have not been training whatsoever. Uh, now, if this was uh, drinking uh, chili water, I'd be all in. I, I think we'd win this thing hands down. But golf, uh, hey, golf is a mystery for me every time I go, boys. I might look really good and I might look really bad, but we're, we're going to give it our best shot, okay? Guys, I mean, last time T-Dub and I played in the first tee scramble, uh, our boss, Kim McLeod, after three holes, he said, I thought you guys were good. I'll fire you if you make another par. <laughs> so hopefully uh, we can get off to a little bit hotter start this time. <laughs> well, we started on the, the hardest holes on the entire course that day. I mean, it's not the it – Lincoln Le- East isn't the hardest venue around, but we literally started on hole seven, which was into like a 20-mile-an-hour wind. And then our, our third hole was number nine, which is like a 200-yard par three. So, and then number 10 is a, uh, a part three as well, Woody. So, I mean, we, we were set up for failure from the start, but at least we were able to rebound a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Now you, now you sound like you're making excuses. There's no excuses. What is we there? Shot no 17 under. Ball? We played like shit, Woody. You want me to say that? We started <laughs> like shit. <laughs> I say you guys shot 17 under, so you rallied. So just think if you could have come out of the box worth a lick. That's right. And and by the way, we you have a lot of pressure on us because the last scramble that we played in, the ALS scramble, and that was you, me, Woody, and, and Colby. Uh, I Colby. mean, guys, <laughs> I mean, we're undefeated. We can't lose our undefeated status between us three. Is the, the hump man, hopefully the hump man doesn't come in and ruin the team chemistry. Well, there's zero chance of that happening. No, I, I, I do have high expectations for the Hump Man as well. I expect him to make a few putts. And, he uh, plays more I mean, golf than all of us be... combined. Okay, yeah, that's a got, good sign. You've got to remember one thing. You've, you've, got to, you've got to put into the equation four-person scramble, fundraiser, the fact that some people can't keep score as well as others, okay? <laughs> so all, all we can do is go play the best golf we can. Now, one thing I can promise you that anybody listening out there, our team will not cheat. <laughs> we, who the hell cheats in a first tee scramble? <laughs> I mean, well, good God, of all places. I can promise you. That, I can that, think that, of a couple. The I play. There's, there's cheaters in every scramble. I can think of a lot. I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> Definitely. I mean, there's, there's a special place in whatever afterlife you believe in, in, in your religious beliefs, wherever the bad place is, there's a special place for you if you cheat in a first tee script. You, you definitely have to be aware of the eraser and scrambles like this. It can get ugly. At least there's no throws. You know, you play in those ones where they give you a string and, or you throw the ball. Uh, it sounds like this is just at least it's only four guys who play play a four-person scramble with no other mulligans or anything like that, right? I think so. I don't even know where the okay. tournament is, Woody. I asked my dad where it's at, yeah. and he said either at Lincoln or Hefner. <laughs> Well, they were. Yeah, we well, said, we'll send two of us to heaven or two of us to Lincoln, and we'll have a half chance of being right. Well, it sounds like what I need to do this weekend is practice at my island green on par threes because it doesn't sound like you two get off to good starts on par threes. In case, in yeah. case we're on a par three, I got to have my irons in play. Well, no matter what, it's going to be a fun time, and our listeners need to stay tuned to see how that goes. Uh, next Monday, T-Dub, there has been some big news in the world of professional golf. Um, Kind of referring to the PGA Tour, I guess minor league golf as we would call it. What is happening in the world of minor league golf? Yeah, this, we actually probably have a decent amount of listeners who this this will impact. Uh, guys who, you, if you think of the PGA Tour as the major leagues and you think of Corn Fairs AAA, this would essentially be AA, where you used to have your options. You used to have PGA Tour Canada, uh, the Latin America Tour, and then you also have PGA Tour China, which they haven't used since COVID, but at least that used to be an option. And now they're combining uh, the two tours, uh, Latin America and Canada, to be one. The PGA Tour Americas is what they're going to call it. They're going to have 16 tournaments over the course of Latin America, Canada, and actually says they'll have some in the United States, so that'll be interesting to see. I know that uh, Canada, during the COVID times, uh, they played a couple of tournaments in the United States as well, so it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I I knew a bunch of people that played on, you know, the Canadian tour back then, and they absolutely loved the fact that it moved to the States. And and so it's going to be a pretty good thing, especially for those guys in particular, and I mean, you you look at how they're going to do it, too, so they'll have, the first part of the season will essentially be what will be the Latin America, half of it's going to be called the Latin America Swing, that says it'll end around May or so. And so each little swing will kind of have its own point system. So if you're in the top 60 on the Latin America points, uh, Latin America will allow you to, to move on and move up in the uh, and go on to Canada, that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know, Woody, uh, for summer, I know you played, uh, whenever you're trying to make it on tour, you played a lot in Asia. But uh, it's pretty interesting to see that uh, there's something that not many people look at. They'll just focus on the big guys, the, the Roms and the Rorys of the PGA Tour. But this is a change that's going to impact a lot of people. It's going to be interesting to see how it all really fully uh, pans out. It, it just shows you how, how worldwide the tours are and how hard it is to actually get to the PGA Tour or live or wherever you might want to play in the upper, upper division. Uh, it, it's a great proving ground. It, it would surely show kids real quick, young men, um, either I'm good enough to do this or I'm not. And uh, I think it's a great proving ground, testing ground, and uh, – We've had a number of guys from Oklahoma that through those ranks, like you guys said, that uh, playing on those tours and have uh, worked their way up to the Corn Ferry and gone on even to the PGA Tour. So um, I'm excited for them. I, I, I'm glad they combined them. I think that's smart. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Taylor Gooch was one of those guys that played in Canada for a year, finished in the top five, and uh, Michael Gellerman, a, a bunch of guys that we know uh, have not only you know gone to Canada, but Latin America. I mean, Charlie Saxon and Max McGreevy went to PGA Tour China a few years ago. Um, a lot of different ways, uh, guys, to skin a cat in uh, you know minor league or mini tour golf, and so it's really good to me that they're combining the two and making it bigger and making it... Um, you know, uh, really a, just a, a better platform for these guys to play on, T-Dub. I think that it's all good. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It kind of combines both of them because I know a lot of guys, they would try to do both of them, right? You would go try to qualify for Latin, and then if you made it or not, then you would try to qualify for Canada because that's just kind of how it usually timed out in the year. And, and you look at how they're going to kind of combine the finishes. So if you finish top 10 in this new system, you're going to uh, essentially earn corn fairy status or at least a, a decent part of it. And then 11 through 25. And then also the uh, the guys who finished a little bit lower in the different various swings, as I was alluding to earlier, they'll be able to earn, you know, for example, getting in the final stage of PGA Tier Q score, getting in the second stage of uh, PGA Tier Q school as well. So uh, they've kind of just combined everything, right? These weren't necessarily different options that they had between Canada and Latin. They just essentially combined them and essentially doubled everything in that sense. So it doesn't really seem like they're neglecting as many players, which is something that if you combine two tours, you would think that they still gave out the same amount of exemptions everywhere. That would have probably been a problem. It looks like they, they spread out the love a little bit. So it'll be good uh, because as we've talked about, kind of with the elevated events going to smaller fields, that I'm, I'm a proponent of guys being able to play their way in and have an opportunity in those uh, in those fields. And it seems like this new uh, structure they're doing is going to give these guys that opportunity. Well, guys, speaking of Asia and Latin America, we have Live Golf Singapore this week, uh, and we have the Mexico Open. So quickly, let's you know go over the Mexico Open. It's pretty simple to prognosticate. You have John Rahm, Tony Finau, uh, and then... A bunch of other guys. I mean, your top five favorites are John Rahm, Tony Finau, Wyndham Clark, Gary Woodland, and Ben On. That's how far it drops off, really, from uh, from two on. And so, my question that I ask you every week, T Dub, does the winner come out of the top five? But I'm not asking you that this week. I'm asking you, does the winner come out of the top two, John Rahm or Tony Finau? John Rahm with a 24.9% chance this week to win the golf tournament and Tony Finau with a 10% chance to win the golf tournament this week. Yeah, generally you would, you would have two players in a 150-person field and you would think, oh, there's no way you can only pick two of those guys. But uh, the rest of those field guys, in all honesty, is is not very good at all. It's actually pretty pretty atrocious, to say the least. And, uh, and I mean, once you get past especially the, uh, you know, about 8,000 on DraftKings, you know, it's pretty hard to find any bit of value on, on that page. So uh, I'd probably go with the top two. I would be shocked even if Rom just plays his B-plus game. I would expect him – to have a great chance in this. now finished second here last year, which Rom is the defending champion as well. So, I mean, they, they came in one and two last year, Woody. I wouldn't expect them to do anything different, especially when you look at the rankings and the guys that are behind them who are like third, fourth, fifth, sixth in this tournament to win analytically. Wyndham Clark, Gary Woodland, Patrick Rogers, been on. Then you get down the likes of Steven Yeager, uh, Bo Hostler, Nikolai Horgai, who's actually been playing pretty good, but still not up in the in the ranks of that. And then like a Joseph Bramlett is next. So, I mean, Woody, I mean, I think you have to look Look at those guys. Maybe someone down bottom or if those top two play bad, they may not win. But uh, if you had to put a gun in my hands, that pick uh, those two are the field. I'm going to take those two probably every day. How could you not? Uh, here's a question. You two guys are really good at all these analytics and know all this kind of stuff. Why does John Rom play this golf tournament? Is there a sponsor he's tied to or 
why in the world is he well, playing in this? Well, la- well, last, last year, year was the first year of it, Woody, and, yeah. and he won. So I'm assuming he has to come so back because of that. I don't know why he played the, uh, the first year. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He talked about that this week. He said that he thought he owed it to the fans of you know Mexico in the tournament that he come back and defend. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, I forgot he had defended. That makes sense, but... You don't remember me asking him at the PGA last year, was Mexico the confidence boost you needed? And he stared me right in my eyes and said, I didn't know I needed a confidence boost. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember that. I I thought... I thought to myself again when we talk. Every time we talk about John Rahm, I think about how you irritated him. I'm, I'm really glad that uh, he's not on the live tour because I don't know what you'd say to him at Cedar Ridge. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, now it's coming back to me. You know, I kill a lot of brain cells. I'm older than you guys, so I did forget you offended him. So, uh, but to answer your question, yeah, one of those two would be hard not to pick him. That's not who I'm picking on my one and done. Whenever we do that, but. Um, that's okay. Local flair for uh, the Mexico Open. Austin Ekro is in the field this week. Um, has kind of struggled at the start of his PGA Tour career. Um, you know, obviously rookie on the PGA Tour, uh, finished second in Corn Ferry Tour Championship last year, but he's missed ten cuts since he got his PGA Tour card. T Dub. This is one of those tournaments that I feel like could be good for a guy like an Austin Eckroat where the strength of field isn't quite as strong, but I feel like he can go out there and feel like maybe not win the tournament with John Rahm and Tony Finau, but he, he should feel like he should be able to finish top 10 in a tournament like this. And for a young guy that kind of thrives off confidence, I feel like you know you might see that from him or a guy like Robbie Shelton. Some of these younger guys with a lot of talent uh, can go out there with a little more confidence than they would on a normal week with a, a little bit weaker field. I 100% agree, and I think this is something that we're going to see going forward with the new structure the PGA Tour has. And you look at, at Eckrod, as you just mentioned earlier, he does have essentially at the since the start of this year, he's played, what is that, 10, 12 tournaments, something like that. He, he's missed the cut in every one of them except for two. And the two times he didn't, he finished fifth and 12th. So, I mean, he, he's a, the definition of boomer bust right now on the Tour. And, and that's just how, I mean, he's always been such a great player. I mean, he's one of the best. 12 to 13 year olds that I I remember ever watching. I mean, he was just a a prodigy from day one and it seems like he's going to keep that going on. It's just, uh, we see it from a lot of players, right? You get out there on the big stage and it takes you a little bit while a a little bit of time to adjust to it. I mean, he's currently the 178th ranked player analytically. So it's not like he's completely falling off the face of the earth or anything like that. But uh, I don't know what he would do. It would do a lot for Austin if he was able to, um, you know, have a really good finish to last year, essentially like he did on the corn Ferry tour last year, get some high finishes in there, maybe potentially be able to, work his way up into the top 70 on the FedEx Cup, currently 135th right now. So a strong finish would be really beneficial for him. It would be that. Uh, you know, it, it, what sounds so funny is when we talk about this kind of event and, and we talk about a, a weak field, all of us need to remember it. There is no such thing as a weak player on the PGA Tour. <laughs> None of these guys are That's bad. Right. One of them can catch fire on any given week and just go nuts. So it's easy for us to think about two tours, and that's it's not because we wanted it. Jay Monahan wants it, or that's what they want. So, but I don't ever want to feel like we're we're you know we're belittling these other guys because I tell you something. Anybody that's got their PGA Tour card. 
they can golf their ball on any given week, any given day. So I think these kinds of events, we're going to see more and more of them this year. Next year's even going to be even bigger with those elevated events. You're going to see that's going to be where these guys build their confidence and earn their way to that top 70, 80, whatever they decide, whatever the tour finally decides on. This is the best chance they have. It's confidence, gentlemen. That's what it is. And he's he's coming off a bad stretch, but I believe in Austin that he can turn it around just that quick and wouldn't be surprised if he, he not only finishes top 10, but maybe contend this week. No, I definitely hope that that's the case because Austin is one of the most talented guys out there. It's just going to take him a little bit of time to get acclimated to the PGA Tour. Another local flair for this tournament, Kevin Tway, who dealt with some injuries last year and and some you know stomach issues last year, and then you know kind of trying to work his way back into playing form has lost the driver a little bit. I would love to see Kevin Tway throw a low one out there this week, guys. The one guy that I'm kind of looking at that I feel like other than John Rahm and Tony Finau has a chance to win this golf tournament, that's Bo Hostler. Bo Hostler last week you know, was in the lead of the Zurich Classic along with um, uh, Wyndham Clark, right? Yes, that was yeah. correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, so he was playing with Wyndham Clark. They ended up finishing third, but they went into the final round with the lead. Um, he's made three straight cuts. I feel like Bo Hossler could be one of those guys to take a little bit of confidence from that team event at the Zurich last week. Other than that, it's kind of like throwing a dart at a dartboard. I'll tell you this, T-Dub, for my one-and-done pick this week, I know it's not an elevated event. I just feel like Tony Finau is going to go out there and try to win this golf tournament, so I'm going to take my chances um, on Tony Finau, even though the money's not quite as big as, uh, or not even close to as big as the elevated event. Um, but I am going to pick Tony Finau in the one and done this week. Yeah, the money is nowhere close to an elevated event. It's just for reference, second, first place in this tournament gets $1.38 million. Second place is uh, a little over eight hundred k. So I think that's what Patrick Cantley made at uh, Harbortown for third place was $1.3 million. But But your strategy of taking Finau, it, it could be solid because – if you if in the elevated events, it's hard to beat a lot of those other guys, right? But uh, you come to this field and you expect that uh, Tony Fino will go out and beat those guys pretty often. One thing that I am a little bit worried about with Fino is, is that uh, over the past couple of tournaments, he's uh, he's been about neutral when it comes to his strokes gain off the tee. Which, and you look back to last year when he had that miraculous stretch where he won what three out of three out of four weeks or something like that, and uh, he his, his driver was just. Stellar at that point, he's gaining almost a full shot almost every time he teed it up. But over the last uh, four tournaments, he, he's barely been neutral. And even at the Masters, he lost strokes gain off the tee. And also hit his putter going back to that stretch I was alluding to earlier. He was gaining more than a shot on the greens. He had completely figured it out with the putter. But it had been really streaky since then. Three out of his last uh, five tournaments and uh, four out of his last seven, I believe, he's lost strokes gain putting. So I'm a little bit a little bit bearish on feed now, but uh, still wouldn't be shocked if he had an absolute my one-and-done pick, guys, I'm going to go with Gary Woodland. This is a guy who I believe he's fourth-ranked uh, analytically as a, as a chance to win in odds. So uh, I can't think of a really another chance that I'll use Gary Woodland. He's 53rd-ranked player analytically. Played this tournament last year. Had a pretty good finish. Um, has not missed a cut. Missed a cut at the Arnold Palmer, but other than that, had not missed a cut going all the way back to the Sony Open. So had made, what is that, seven out of eight cuts during that stretch. It is struggling a little bit around the green, so I am worried about that. But over his last two tournaments, he is gaining shots. Putting, so that's a good, uh, good, 
good sign because he didn't putt very well at the tournament last year. But what you expect from Gary Woodland every time he just keeps gaining shots off the tee, so I think he'll be able to, to dominate that. So uh, I'm going to go with Gary Woodland. Uh, Woody, I guess that's a nice little uh, segue there on the names. I like that. Uh, yeah, I'm going with a guy that played some pretty good golf this year so far that nobody will pick. So this could be one of those most iconic picks of the year, Matt Wallace. Woody is going with Matt Wallace. Not a terrible pick there, Woody. He did win the Corrales Punta Cana Championship. Now, he has missed the last two cuts, but one of those was the team event. He missed the cut at the RBC, but finished 28th at the Valero. Like I said, won the Punta Cana and then finished tied for 7th at the Valspar. Woody, you might be on to something with that pick. Hey, you, you got to go out of the box. You got to go crazy sometimes. Well, and here, just a little point about, about Matt Wallace. Back in about 2019, he was the top 30 player in the world. I mean, he had absolutely got it figured out. Only 33 years old, so still has a little bit of time left. But you, but you look at how his game translates back to then. He used to be one of the best putters in the game, and now he's about uh, middle of the pack there. And he also used to hit the ball a little bit further, and he was a little bit better around the greens. But one thing that's encouraging, he does hit the ball a little bit straighter now, and he does have a little bit better iron play. So uh, not necessarily the same game that he used to have back then, but uh, he's definitely trending up because about the middle of last year, he was about the 400th ranked analytically player in the world, and that's not very good at all. So uh, it's good to see uh, a nice guy like him. I know he's gotten a, a kind of a bad reputation with uh, some of his caddy outbursts and things like that, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of root for the guy who liked his game back when he was out there playing, so uh, hopefully he can get it back, and it looks like he's on the upward trend. Hopefully uh, Woody times it right this week. Well, guys, let's transition uh, around the world to Live Golf Singapore. Uh, T-Dub, quick, where's Singapore? Go. Indonesia. All right, Woody, where's Indonesia? Go. Uh, you know, I don't know. I've, I've played. <laughs> I've actually played golf. Indonesia's in the, it's in the Pacific Rim is okay. where it is. Yeah, it's it's, uh, I, I actually it's just north golf. of Australia, south of uh, Japan, uh, south of China, Taiwan, that, that kind of area. Woody, you yeah, played there? I know, that, I know. Yeah, I played there. I played in Indonesia. You got a story from Indonesia? Singapore. Well, real quick, what I want to correct, Singapore is its own country. It's just by Indonesia. I kind of misspoke there. But, uh, yeah, Singapore is it's a, is officially the Republic of Singapore. It's an island country and city-state in Southeast Asia. I'll tell you a little trivia, not in Indonesia, but I'll tell you trivia in Singapore. I was playing the Asian tour, and uh, Payne Stewart was on that at that time. This was 1980, I believe, guys. And uh, this was long before Payne ever made the PGA Tour. We were hanging out there in Singapore. We'd been together for about six, eight weeks, traveling all over these countries. Payne comes in the elevator when we're going down to have dinner, and on walks this beautiful blonde-haired girl with a tall, strapping, blonde-haired guy. And you could tell they were from Australia by their accent. So we're on the way up in high in the hotel, but by the time we reached the ground floor, Payne has struck up a conversation with this young lady. Well, fast forward to 1987. I'm playing my first U.S. Open at the Olympic Club, and I get a practice round with Payne. We're walking down the first hole, believe it or not, and we're already reminiscing about when we were in Asia, and I said, hey, do you remember that girl you met in Singapore, how you were hitting on her, and said she's beautiful this gonna be my next wife i love this girl already and i made fun of you i said you dummy she doesn't like you whatever happened with that he goes what do you i married her 
<laughs> it was crazy. That's amazing. It was quiet. And, and I looked at him and I go, no way. And he goes, yep, yep, that girl that I'm married to right now is the same girl that was in that elevator when we were in Singapore. So just that is goes classic. to show you guys, you never know where your wife might come from. Sam, you've already found yours. I had to take two tries, but I'm pretty happy the one I got. So, P-Dub, you married? I was. I'll be on my second try uh, before too long. <laughs> well, what you might need to do, son, is go to Singapore and ride the elevator long enough. You might find a little Australian girl. There you go. So, that sounds like a pretty damn good idea. Woody, I bet you would you know, I watched Stewart. The Hangover 2, Woody. I watched The Hangover 2, and I know they went to Bangkok, but Thailand's not extremely far away, and uh, I'm not sure I want the events that transpired in that movie to happen to me. That, well, now, right. I've been in Bangkok, too. Now, Bangkok's a whole different story that we, we heard, have to tell. We heard that one last year. I think you told that one on the podcast. That was Payne Stewart with you there, too, I think. Gosh, dang. Yeah, I don't think I told the good stories, but I might have told one for Bangkok. Hey, let me tell you something, guys. You go to Asia, and when we had had Taylor on the phone last night, I wanted to ask him. Singapore, though, honestly, gentlemen, was the one of the prettiest cities I've ever set foot in my whole entire life. Still is. It was the cleanest, most beautiful city I had ever really been to in my whole entire life. Probably still one of my top two. So Singapore is a gorgeous place. Indonesia. Not, not, not as much. Uh, India, no, don't go to India. Don't go to Calcutta. I'll tell you that. So there was a lot of fun things I learned when I was in Asia, but Singapore is a cool place. Yeah, Taylor was talking about that. Number one, it's going to be extremely hot this week in Singapore. Um, the golf yep. course, he said, is, you know, they said it's like the Asian Augusta National is what they're calling it um, over there, or is what they have called it over the years. Um, the golf course, guys, is 7,400 yards at sea level um, with three par fours at nearly 500 yards. Um Guys, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be a pretty tough course. There's some pretty holes right on the water out there. Um, I think it's going to be a tougher test, definitely, uh, than what we saw at Live Golf Adelaide, T-Dub. Yeah, I mean, just just from what I've seen in this course, it does, doesn't look like it's going to be the easiest test by any stretch of the imagination. And it seems like that, uh, you know, it's gotten some pretty good rays. I mean, it looks pretty cool. And uh, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see it. You know, it's, 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 it is going to be very different than what we saw last week at Adelaide. I don't think they're going to be able to compare a lot. TG mentioned that it's going to be pretty hot over there as well. So that'll be something uh, to look at. But uh, I don't know, Woody, I, I feel like that uh, th- this is just one of those courses to where it, it could play tough enough that uh, maybe someone at the top could just go out and maybe run away with this thing. Or it, c- it could open up the field to maybe some guys down in the middle of the pack. It's kind of a, a double-edged sword in that aspect. What's cool is that, once again, as we see that the Live Tour is not afraid to go to a very difficult golf course. Uh, I think those guys have a lot of confidence in the players on that tour that they're not going to embarrass themselves on a hard golf course. Uh, when they talk about hot, you guys don't even understand the heat. Uh, it's dead of summer over there right now, and I, I played at this same time of year when I was there, and it's tropical. It's very humid. Um, it, it'll be, let me tell you something, stamina will have a lot to do with this week, guys. Believe it or not, I, I know that sounds kind of stupid to say that, but it's hard to play 72 holes of golf there in that kind of heat. So I hope they stay hydrated because uh, you might see some caddies or you might see some gallery go down this week. 
Yeah, Taylor was even talking about that, that the caddies were making bets on who goes down first this week in that extreme heat. Uh, One thing the hot weather might do is bring some of the, let's say, older guys into contention a little bit. I mean, we saw a video this morning of Phil Mickelson. By the way, cocky Phil is all the way back. He says he's hitting bombs on the range. And by the way, he's right. Two months ago at Live Golf Mayakoba, Lefty had a cruising ball speed of 165. By the way, this is from our friends at the Flushing It uh, Golf Podcast. Do a great job. We share each other's stuff all the time. Definitely go give them a follow at Flushing It Golf. Um, But anyways, yeah, so at Mayakoba, his ball speed was 165. Now uh, he says he's comfortable... Yeah, he says he's comfortable uh, in the high 170s, and today on the range he posted a video topping 180 at 182 ball speed. Woody, how is this possible uh, from a guy that's 52 years old, and does the warm weather help that? I feel like it should. Well, yeah, the warm weather definitely helps it, but still, 52, uh, 182-mile-an-hour ball speed, holy cow, Um He's a freak. He's a freak of nature just that he can still get the club so far past parallel and, and, and hit it that far and that hard. But you're, you're right, Sam. It, it, it's good news, bad news. Yes, the heat will help his body from the standpoint of being limber, but it'll also suck it out of you. And he's already lost 25, 30 pounds from what his fighting weight was. Well, maybe not his fighting weight, what his obese weight was. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I would I would say that's going to be a little bit tough on him from that standpoint. At 52 years old, you got to have a lot of things going right. And uh, I would say the weather is really not his fan this week. It's not He's not the favorite with the weather. I, that's where I would think. Well, T-Dub, the favorites are individually Dustin Johnson, Joaquin Neiman, Taylor Gooch, Cam Smith, and Charles Howell round out your top five. Now, I think the course might be a little too long for Charles Howell, but I guess we'll we'll see. Um, Mito Pereira, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, uh, round out your top eight right there. Also, Burmester and Abe Answer round out your top ten. Uh, do you think the winner comes out of those top ten guys, T Dub, or are you looking at someone else? Yeah, if I if I get the top ten, I'll I'll take that definitely all day. I'm looking at the uh, the outlook for the weather. It actually looks like, according to the Live Golf website, there's a, a chance of rain almost every single day. Sixty five percent Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday is an eighty four percent chance. I mean, you could have just round up to eighty five. I thought that would have been great, but eighty four percent chance just to be precise. There, the wind's only going to blow about uh, eight miles an hour. The high is 89, so that that is going to be pretty hot, especially with how humid it is, especially with Singapore being pretty close to the equator. So that'll pay out. But, but yeah, just I mean, if you're going to give, give me those top ten guys, I would think so. I mean, TG played so well last week. I mean, I think that he would keep it going this week um, as well, even though the course is going to be different. Dustin Johnson is the favorite, and you expect him to get a little bit of form. It seems like that he's been playing good in the final round of the live events, um, but it hasn't been necessarily getting off to the best starts sometimes. So uh, then our man Charles Dell got off to a great start at the beginning of the year. Uh, hasn't hasn't played as well as of late, but uh, still on pretty decent form. I expect him to have good. And then uh, Burst Kepka as well. We'll see what – See what he can bring to the table. So, uh, so yeah, I'm definitely going to go with uh, – I'll go with those top ten 
Woody all day of the week, even though, as we were talking about earlier, it kind of does open up the field to some players, even a guy down like Phil Mickelson, who's down in, what, 35th best chance of, of odds to win out of 48 players, something along those lines. So uh, he's just, he's right around the, the likes of guys like Richard Bland, Chikara, Hendrick Stinson, and our man Pat Perez, who, who has was infamous for his celebration on 12 on the on the last round of lift. So uh, I, I don't know, Woody. I feel like this tournament is a little bit harder to prognosticate, though, just from the uh, the venue and the quick turnaround because with the exception of one time last year, Liv isn't used to going back-to-back weeks. Yeah, that, that's I, – I asked you guys about that before we got started. I was surprised they did go back-to-back. Those 10 guys, though, pretty hard not to think one of them is going to be there. As, as far as the rain goes, T-Dub, it, it, it's kind of like Florida in the summer. They could give you a hundred percent chance of rain every day because it will rain. I'm going to tell you right now, guys. There will be some kind of squalls come through there because it just gets so freaking hot, and and then it'll rain and then it's really humid. So it 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 won't rain it out. Well, I'll tell you that, guys. That that will not happen. It'll be if they they probably will play in some rain just simply because that's what happens over there. They they have these little like squalls is what I call them. They just come through. It rains pretty good, and then it just stops. And then the sun comes out, and it's ugly hot. I mean, just miserable. And if the bugs are out, that just even adds more fun to it. Well, guys, as far as the team standings go on live right now, the four aces are in first place. Torque is in second place, and Stinger is in third place. Um, you also have the Crushers, the Fireballs, and Smash, and the Range Goats after that. Um, Torque is an interesting one because uh, they, they finished third, then seventh, then first, then seventh. So, uh, if you're going based off the pattern there, they should have a good week this week in Singapore. The four aces are the most consistent team. They've gone second, second, third, and first. Um, and then the Stingers have been, you know, fourth place, fourth place, fourth place, third place. Um, we saw the Crushers win the first event at Live Golf Mayakoba. We saw the Fireballs win the second one in Tucson. Uh, T-Dub, I'll let you go first for the team picks this week. Who are you going with? Well, you got to think that with the alter the alternate times, as you mentioned earlier, that Team Torque would be the pick. But uh, I got to go with the four aces. I mean, they just been playing so rock solid, haven't finished worse than third all year. So uh, I will have to go with them, Woody. And I mean, you could go with Stinger to try to be a little bit closer. But uh, no, I think the four aces with uh, DJ and Patrick Reed uh, leading the charge. I think that uh, they're in just fine shape. Yeah, you know, how do you bet against those guys? They're amazing how they just find a way to do it every week you know you would think they'd step on themselves some week i i think you know what's kind of funny for me is i'm going to try the fireballs this week well i don't know i have no clue why i'm picking that but i think they play good in the heat there you go the fireballs do play good in the heat uh guys i'm going with the crushers i know that bryson has been kind of a low point this year to say the least um but paul casey has played some decent golf charles howell obviously won earlier on this year and honor bond lahiri finished second last week at live golf adelaide so i am going crushers for my team pick this week and i feel like on a longer golf course bryson might thrive a little bit more than normal. As far as my individual pick, guys, I'm going first because I have to take this guy again this week. I got to go with Taylor Gooch because I picked him last week. I got to keep picking him until he loses, right, T-Dub? 
hundred percent. I do think you have to. Yeah. I don't think that uh, you've exhausted all of your good fortune for TG yet. So might as well let it ride. You know I mean? That's the, that's the rule of thumb when you're at the casino, right? So you might as well do it here. Um, who am I going to pick? Um, I really want to go with DJ. I mean, cause he is the leader analytically, but, uh, I don't know, sort of like Woody with the fireballs. I just have a weird feeling about Cam Smith. I think that he, he's, he's in position to start playing some good golf. Doesn't have his best stuff at the start of this year, but I think he's going to turn it around. So some good stuff in the final round at Adelaide to be able to move up the leaderboard a little bit, still never really gave TG much of a run, but still was able to move up. So, uh, Woody, I'm going to go with Cam Smith. I like I, I like both your guys' picks. I was disappointed I was in uh, Costa Rica last week because I was picking Gooch early in the year, and I, I, I was on him too early. And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm out of the country. He wins by a bunch. Well, he was won by a lot, let's just say that. He could have won by a whole lot. <laughs> um I'm going to go with Kepka. I think he's had a couple of weeks to celebrate with that crazy wife he is that wants to be on Facebook or <laughs> on every Instagram and everything else. And I think he's uh, he's kind of gotten over the master's hangover, so to speak, where he feels like he really lost one. I think he's going to have a good week. Guys, if you're wanting to watch this Live Golf Singapore live, it is 13 hours ahead of the central time zone here in Oklahoma uh, for instance, last week at Live Golf Adelaide, it was 14 and a half hours. By the way, guys, how is it a half hour you know, ahead? Like it says 14 and a half hours uh, in Adelaide. I didn't even realize that last, last week. It shows how much I was paying attention to the times. Um, but Singapore, guys, is 13 hours ahead, and you're going to have to watch that on the Live Golf Plus app or livegolf.com or the CW app because the CW networks, um, when it's not – at the normal times when they're playing in the States, they don't show it live, or at least they didn't here in Oklahoma City. You had to stream it, T-Dub. They did. I'm not exactly sure what the reasoning of that is. I don't feel like it would be so hard because I can't remember exactly what the programming was when I looked because on the TV, guys just scroll through and like, why the hell isn't the live on right now when it's going to be on at 10 o'clock at night or whatever it was? And whatever it was, it wasn't something that was extremely urgent to be playing on the television. So I'm not sure why that needed to be the case, but it is. And so, yeah, just uh, you have to stream it. Even whenever they have a normal live event, you have to stream the first round anyway. They only have it on the weekends. But, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I'm uh, going to have to stream it this time. And, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world by any stretch. It's a little bit harder to access than it was last year just with it being on YouTube in that sense. But with it overall being on CW, it's been a different change. So, uh, so yeah, I, I just, just get your streaming stuff out and uh, be ready because it's going to be some late-night golf, and I cannot wait. We heard some interesting things in the Live Golf press conference this morning. Number one, Bryson said, quote, uh, and it was similar to some of the stuff we heard TG say on this very podcast, but Bryson said, quote, you should realize that the OWGR is not accurate, one. And then two, I think they need to come to a resolution or it'll become obsolete. I think that, you know, we talked a whole lot about that with Taylor Gooch, but Bryson, I think, was referring to the fact that TG did drop two spots in the official World Golf rankings after shooting back-to-back 62s and winning. Um, that was interesting. And then what I really want to talk about, guys, is Bubba had some interesting comments in regards to the long-term plan of live, and I found it kind of interesting. I hadn't really heard this, you know, even off the air, or, you know, off the record from people that their some of their long-term plans include global teams. We kind of knew that, but then Bubba said that 
Their long-term plans also include golf courses slash stadiums owned by teams and golf academies to develop that talent. Now, that's some big-time ambition, guys. Uh, do you think that that's actually achievable from uh, from Liv? Is it achievable? Um, I, I don't know if they could build their own golf courses. Maybe if they just get a venue to be the home course. Maybe so, but uh, and then the academy thing that that's definitely doable for each team to be able to get something like that set up. You could just have uh, what a lot of great courses have around here with their own teachers, right? They have their own little facilities on the course. Anyone who went to the PGA Championship and half the range was blocked up by a big building. That was uh, Ryan Rohde's uh, building that he uses. So uh, no, it wouldn't be hard to get something like that. The stadium thing, I'm not exactly sure how or necessarily the exact purpose you'd want to do that. Are they trying to do something like the TGL is and have some indoor type thing? Is that what they're trying to do? I'm not exactly sure on that. So I don't know what is it plausible. Yes. Is it something that I see happening within the next four or five years? No, it's something that I think is going to take a little bit of time if it is possible. Yeah. I I think that, that sounds real good. Um, Although I will say this, if, if you have the money they have in Saudi Arabia, I, I wouldn't be surprised they build an indoor dome golf course. And who knows what those guys might pull off. But I think that I think that was kind of maybe a little bit um kind of far fetched for a better way of saying it. Uh I think they can do some of it, but yeah, I, I, I think the first thing they need to do is figure out how we can all play together in the same slam lot. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I I do like the portion of the team concept that the guys can own portions of the teams, or at least the captains can own portions of the teams and, you know, get compensated even more that way. And I think that the more you kind of have ambition and reach for, you know, the stars, at least you'll land on the moon, you know, something like that, guys. And so I think some of it is good and some of it is far-fetched, but a lot of people thought Liv was far-fetched 11 months ago, and look where we are now. Um, Guys, before we finish the podcast, I do want to say thank you to the Scottish newspapers, T-Dub. We are in the Scottish newspapers. They picked up on our Taylor Gooch interviews, uh, and I guess we are uh, a top headline in the the Scottish newspapers and, uh, you know, all around the world, I guess, for some of the comments that, that TG made. Well, you know, you start off, you know, you start off locally with the podcast, right? Then it grows. It's gone. We've gotten pretty regional. Then we got national. We went to uh, Orlando with uh, John Daly. And now we've gotten international with this, this college headline. So, I mean, Sam, we just keep growing. I mean, every single uh, moment in real time, it's pretty exciting to see. And, uh, and yeah, like you mentioned earlier, TG uh, provided the content. We just gave him the platform. And uh, it was great to see. And it's uh, something that just what the headline was talking about, hopefully – Someone can change their damn mind. Let TG in the PGA Championship. He's the only one who was affected the by the rule. He qualified for the, 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 the USGA. The USGA is the one that retroactively changed the rule on him qualifying for the Tour Championship, but then changed it to be eligible to play in the Tour Championship. What well, do you anything you want to say to our Scottish fans out there? <laughs> uh, you know me. I love Scotland. I, I get in a little trouble for what I said about their women, but but that's okay. Um, I, I love Scotland and, uh, I hope they keep listening to us. Good, good for them. No doubt about it. T-Dub, did we miss anything today? Oh, I'm sure as always, something surely slipped through the cracks, but nothing that I've missed, at least on my sheet, just, uh, we covered it all in really in the first time, but a huge congratulations again to Ryan Hibble and his team for uh, getting a victory up at Prairie Dunes. That was a good thing to see, obviously, and hopefully they can get some momentum, more momentum going into the postseason, and uh, even though it is a slightly lackluster event 
on the PGA Tour this week. We do have the live tournament to uh, to make up for it a little bit, but uh, it's still gonna, I'm still definitely going to watch the PGA Tour tournament. Hopefully, uh, Rama Finau, or in this case, uh, maybe one of our one and done picks with uh, Matt Wallace or uh, Gary Woodland can make a little bit of a run. So, uh, just uh, we talked about it many times with it being. Uh, you're either going to have an elevated event in golf or you're going to have a live event going on at the time. So it's uh, it's essentially golf heaven at this point, and uh, it's really cool to see. No doubt about it. T-Dub hit it right on the head. Big congratulations to Ryan Hibble and the Oklahoma Sooners on winning back-to-back Big 12 championships. Definitely hit that subscribe button on the 73rd Hole podcast because we could very possibly be having an interview from Ryan Hibble next week on our show uh, here on next Monday on the 73rd Hole podcast that we'll be doing live from the first T scramble. Woody, thank you. T Dub, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. <laughs>